Hi, this is Maureen Milliken. And this is Rebecca Milliken, and this is Groovy Tube. The Crimes of the Brady Bunch. Yes. And this is our episode 28. I'm glad you're keeping track of that. Yeah, and it's season five, episode 15. 17. 17. I'm not good with math of the Brady Bunch. Welcome aboard. And I feel like this is the episode everybody waits has waited for this episode since the very beginning. It's a little underwhelming when you get to it. It's like yeah. it's bigger in our memories. Yeah, it is. It really is. And by this point in my childhood, I was still watching the Brady Bunch because we only had three channels. And what else are you going to do? And we used to watch it on Friday night in the Friday Partridge night. family. And yeah. also, I read As in we one ate of our the, McDonald's. I read in one of the books by now they had already begun syndicating it at noon because ABC had a noontime network spot they couldn't fill. Hmm. And so they had started syndicating it during the day at noon as well and as we know syndication is what made the show so big yes. during its initial run it must have not been long after too because we used to watch it after school and they yeah. had the brady hour and, and it didn't matter if we had seen the episode 10 times just like with everything on like star trek we knew when you're all a by kid, heart. you don't care i showed it after school you, right you, you don't, don't. and we didn't know that someday <laughs> we'd have so much to watch that yeah. we'd sit there clicking through it for like 90 minutes unable <laughs> to decide which thing unable to find find something to watch anyways so this is welcome aboard yes so the opening scene is the driveway mike pulls in in a red convertible it's the maroon pontiac Oh, red maroon. That I, I talked about before. He gets out and he's very jaunty. He checks some dust on the hood. We never see two cars in the driveway, do we? No, Have where's we it? It, it's Do we assume the, one? In the carport, maybe? Right, or the garage. Do well, we assume it's it in there? Garage. Even though they have so much junk in there, I don't know how they would fit a car in. Or maybe the other one's parked out on the street. You know, they leave the driveway open for Mike because he's the man. So he checks some dust. Then it switches to the family room and Cindy and Bobby are playing checkers. And Mike comes to the room and greets them. And then he walks into the kitchen and he kisses Carol. And she asks about his day. This whole, just this little opening sequence is very bouncy and jaunty. I think there's some mm. bouncy, jaunty music going. Almost like, yes. doo, 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 you know, it's like, and everybody's yes, like just all bouncy and theme. cheerful. And I don't know, it had a funny feel to it. She uh, asks Mike about his day and he says the usual. And she says hers wasn't the usual, mm. usual. And Mike says, why is that? And he sounds concerned when he says that. And Carol says... We're going to have an addition to the family. <laughs> and Mike uh, looks shocked. Yeah, and he because he's thinking, we haven't had sex in months. Mm. What the hell? They're always getting it on. I know they are. But Carol's smiling as, as mm -hmm. he's like looking, huh? And Bobby and Cindy are looking through the pass-through. For some reason, Mike and Carol don't notice them, even though they're literally like 10 feet, 15 feet away. I think they're too entranced with each other's well, presence to notice anything else. Carol's like, aren't you going to say something? And Mike's like, are you sure? And he's he's kind of <laughs> babbling, but he seems Mike's really like, happy. Whose baby is it? But you know, he seems happy. No, he so. does seem happy. Which it would be nice if they had had a kid. It would have been. Um, I know that they thought about it. Yeah, they decided not it. to. Carol takes Mike's briefcase and leads him into the living room. And Bobby and Cindy are excited. Mom's going to have a baby. Wait until the other kid's here. In the living room, Carol is guiding a stunned but happy Mike by the arm. She asks if he's shocked. And he says, yes. And then he asks when they're expecting. And she says, tomorrow. Yeah. And it's going to be a boy. <laughs> and he's like, what the fuck? 
Right. And she's like, oh, I was just trying to be funny. And, and like, I'm like, really? what you're going to, that's a, something kind of big to make stupid jokes about. I would not be pleased. If no. Someone. What the fuck? But whatever. And she says, but we are going to have an addition if you approve my nephew, Oliver. Carol apparently has siblings we've never seen. And she they- has mentioned a brother once. Erica Woke in the Bradypedia points out that some people say Oliver's last name is Martin if it's her brother, but Martin was Carol's married name. That's right. Her maiden name is Tyler. So if it is her brother's son, his last name is Tyler, but we don't learn through the entire rest of the season what his last name is. So she says Jack, her brother, is going to South Africa and bringing Polly. Pauline. Oh, is it Pauline? I can't hear very well, apparently. It's in a jungle, so there are no schools. Mike agrees to have Oliver come. I mean, what's he going to say? No. Isn't this kind of short notice? I mean, obviously, this is something that the brother and sister-in-law would have been planning for a long time. Oh, shit. What do we do with our eight-year-old would be top of mind. It's not like there was some sudden thing that they were going to bring him and couldn't. I know. This whole thing is, and I know it's just a TV show, but but just put a little effort into the fucking script, you know? And so Carol says, he's eight. And Mike says, okay, so I'll get some eight-year-old cigars to pass out (laughs) at the office. (laughs) (laughs) Now we're in the girls' room and Marsha and Jan are reading on their beds and Alice is emptying the trash. Mm. Cindy runs in and bumps Alice, who looks pissed. Did you notice that when Cindy ran in? Cindy says she has the most fantastic secret in the world. And Marcia says, we're doing homework. And Jan says, can't your secret wait? And Cindy says, only nine months. Uh, And Alice says, what's that supposed uh, to mean? And Cindy says, mom's going to have a baby. And they're all excited. And we know from watching five years of the Brady Bunch that now we are going to have several scenes of miscommunication and tedious, annoying things as the wrong information is passed around and then people behave as this is going to happen and the people with the right information don't understand what's going on and blah, blah, blah. Jan says it's wild. And Alice says she used to be a pretty good burper. And Marcia says they can't let Carol know they know until she wants them to know. Mm. And they all seem excited. And Alice tells Cindy not to blab. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, right. It's too late. I would say, though, that the acting was pretty good by the girls. They actually seemed excited and surprised. Which is kind of sad because they're all, all excited about it. And then it turns out it's not true. Right. Um, now we're in Greg's room. Peter is playing the guitar. So maybe Greg is teaching him. I think Greg's teaching him how it looks like. And Greg is sitting there watching. Bobby runs up the stairs and tells the mom is having a baby. He also says, don't tell mom. Uh, Peter's <laughs> excited. He's an expectant brother. And uh-huh. Greg holds his guitar and rocks it like a baby and laughs. And they both mm-hmm. also seem very. Yeah, it does. It's real. Yes. Really excited. In the kitchen, Carol is making salad as usual. Alice looks like she's making mashed potatoes. Mm, and it made me hungry. Make me hungry. I love mashed potatoes. Alice won't let Carol carry the salad into the dining area. Carol tries to take plates out of the cabinet, but Marcia and Jan stop her. Come on. I had to shovel snow when I was pregnant. Yeah, no shit. Carol is shocked that they're volunteering to help. She checks their foreheads with her hand <laughs> and asks if they're feeling all right. And Marcia says, 
That's what we should be asking you. And Carol looks suspicious. And my question at this point is, after Carol got the okay from Mike for Oliver to come live with them, wouldn't they have to start preparing for him and immediately tell the kids? Because obviously he's going to have to sleep with the boys and all sorts of other stuff. I know. And when are they going to let the kids know this is happening? It's happening tomorrow. I know. It's really weird. It's like it would have made more sense if they had said could have been a whole different next week or something. Uh, but I guess the way their timeline on the show, it's usually things seem to take place within a few days. So yeah, maybe... they don't have don't to. Know. It's just bad writing. I know. Alice comes in and Carol asks her, is there something going on she should know about? And Alice says, if you don't know, nobody does. And Carol looks annoyed. Bobby and Cindy come in. They tell her she looks good. And she's suspicious and asks if report cards came out today. And they say, no, they just think she looks good. And they leave. Carol asks Alice, what's for dessert? And Alice says, do you have a craving for something? Like watermelon a la mode? And Carol gets annoyed and says, what the fuck is going on? (laughs) Alice says, they know what's happening. And Carol says, you know about Oliver? And Alice says, that's a funny name if it's a girl. And Carol says, oh, you think I'm prego? And Carol thinks it's funny that they think she's pregnant. Mm. And then she's laughing. And uh, Alice is like, oh, I better go cancel that diaper service. And Carol's like, ah, <laughs> the girls <laughs> were helping me. Ha <laughs> ha Yeah, and that was funny. That almost felt like an ad lib. And also, like, calling the diaper service. If Carol was really pregnant, that would be a bit premature to call Right. You have, like, nine months or however pregnant she would have been to take care of that. And now they're showing the side view of the Brady house. The living room, the kids are sitting on couches. Carol tells them Oliver is an only child, so he isn't used to six siblings. Greg says they'll make him feel right at home. Mm-hmm. Bobby tells Cindy now they'll have someone to push around. Now, how old are Bobby and Cindy? Like 12 and 13? Yeah. It's like he's a little kid. Yeah. Be a little bit more mature. Yeah. Mike comes in the front door with Oliver. Carol hugs him, and all the kids start pawing at him. Right. Peter says they're touring a movie studio that weekend, and they all run off, and Carol says she thinks Oliver will be happy. And Mike says they're giving him a warm welcome. Yeah, it just seemed a little frenzied and overdone. Like, their two kids are pulling him in different directions, and they're like, oh, he's not a wishbone. uh." But he apparently has absolutely no trauma whatsoever well it's not like the spirits dumped. died they just d- no they just him. dumped him and abandoned him and well, robbie wrist people of a certain age may remember this was one of the first things he was in but this kid was like in every single fucking movie and tv show everywhere in the mm. 70s and early 80s i mean he's a cute little actor but he was in everything now we're in the girls room jan is working on a painting Cindy's watching Mm. like what the fuck Oliver comes in and wants to watch too Jan asks Cindy to get her some brushes and Oliver says he will but bumps the easel and the painting falls on the palette Jan gets mad and Oliver says he was just trying to help Jan is pretty quick to kind of meanly jump she really overreacted she's being a bitch and it's like you know what Jan painting is a process so if that happened all you gotta do is fix it right unless it's a watercolor and she had a palette with paint on it and the painting did look kind of like a watercolor it but did look it like a watercolor on the it was weird it was like trippy well because they're not artists the people who make this show yeah you I know, know they're not 
But the thing is, too, even if it was ruined, have some understanding for the new little kid in the family who's trying to fit in. And have the other a little thing empathy. is, there's no reason to get mad at something like that. Like oh. if he grabbed the brush and said, oh, I want to try helping you with this painting and then started painting on right. it. That or grabbed the painting and like ripped it in half and <laughs> said, you suck. Now we're in the kitchen. Greg is making a huge sandwich and Alice is watching. Greg is inexplicably, I think, trying yes. to put ketchup. Yes. It's, it's a salami. Che- it made me hungry. Every uh, all this food makes me it looks hungry. like every lunch meat in the fridge is on a there. A salami, cheese, lettuce, and tomato, and then he's putting ketchup. Yeah, it would have made more sense, sense if it was mustard. Yeah. But then they couldn't have done this. Well, you um, could have with mustard. With yeah, a mustard so. squeeze, if they did had, they have like, the squeeze? No, they, they didn't. didn't. I don't think they so. Had I don't think they did. Remember the song from "Open Up and Let the French's Mustard." Mm-hmm. Anyways, Oliver comes in and says he can help. He's good at ketchup, and Greg is kind of like, eh, "I don't want you to help." But Oliver hits the bottom mm-hmm. of the bottle, and the ketchup sprays all over the front of Greg's shirt. Greg is very annoyed, and this signals that now we're going to have yet another tedious, repetitive scene it's like oh my god now i have to sit through several (laughs) minutes of this shit they have to drive the point home but you know what you got ketchup on your shirt is that like the end of the freaking world no alice is the one who's gonna have to wash it go change your shirt and give it to alice to wash now we're in the backyard and bobby's mowing the fake grass (laughs) oh and and greg and peter (laughs) greg and peter so barry and chris were talking about that grass because it was the on their podcast yes on their podcast the real brady bros they said that it was like the first generation of astroturf it wasn't like the stuff today they said it was so like plastic spikes that if you fell on Right, you get like burn on your... So Bobby's trying to empty the grass clippings into a trash bag. And Oliver tries to help him, but Bobby won't let him. I don't know why. And they have a tug of war. Mm -hmm. And then Oliver finally lets go and Bobby falls over. And he falls into the potted plants and breaks the pots. Mm. Oliver says he's sorry. And Bobby says, it's okay. The worst day I can do is kill me. Really? Dad's going to get mad at you because you fell on a freaking potted plant and broke a pot? I know. Like, and it's one of those cheap terracotta pots that are a dime a dozen. No like, shit. What the hell? Is there some like side dad's going to even notice? <laughs> Maybe there is. It's like Mommy Dearest, what, right? Father. Now it's nighttime in the Brady house. In the family room, Mike comes in with a newspaper and Carol is knitting. She shows him the afghan she's working on. Mm. Oliver comes in, he's wearing a PJs and a robe. Yeah, I'm glad to see he's into the bathrobe culture of the Brady family. At least he got that part right. And the only time I wear a bathrobe is if it's, if I have like just like a t-shirt, like if I'm sleeping in a t-shirt, especially if it's cold. But if I have pajamas on, like a shirt and bottom pajamas, I'm not going to put a robe on unless it's like two degrees in my house. I don't even own a bathrobe. And for somebody whose house is two degrees, what I do is when I get up in the morning, I put on, uh, usually put on a hoodie. I have a terry cloth bathrobe that I wear after I take a shower, but I don't have one that I put on over See, my Since pajamas. I live alone, I don't need to And if I lived myself. in the LA area, I don't think I'd be that cold. It's hot. It's not, well, they have their air conditioning on. Yeah, I guess You so. know, they're always, as they destroy the environment and freeze to death. 
the same time. <laughs> so Oliver wants to thank them for letting him stay, which is cute. Carol says tomorrow she'll help him write a letter to his mom and dad. And when he leaves the room, he accidentally drags Carol's yarn with him and unravels some of the afghan. And he brings back the yarn and apologizes. Carol says it's okay. And after we leave, she puts the yarn on Mike's face and they start to make out. Yeah. Now she acts like it's Kinky. this big deal. It's like two rows. It shouldn't have unraveled that much anyway if right. she had it on the needles. I don't know. It just I believe the like men, that big a deal. Men who wrote the script don't understand how yeah. that works. And Carol, I guess, did not do a Bob Reed correction on it. Because Oliver she needed to do something. either. Florence Henderson probably doesn't do it. No, anything. in Lloyd's book, he actually says not to do with the scene, but both... She and Ambie Davis used to spend most of their time on the set instead of their dressing room, and they both did needlework and knitted to pass well, That the would make sense because they have to wait a lot when yes. they're filming stuff. Now we're in the boys' room. Oliver is on the top bunk snoring. I read in the Bradypedia by Erica Woke, an original scene in the script that was cut out for some reason, and given the tedium of some of this script, I don't understand why they would be cutting scenes out, is that the boys, Peter and Bobby, had a fight as the bunk beds got reassembled over who was going to have to sleep in the bunk. Because as we know, when Greg moved out, they got rid of the bunk beds. Yes. So um, here they are again. Yeah. Bobby wakes up and goes over to Pete's bed and asks him if he's awake. Peter says, who can sleep with that buzzsaw going? He sounds like the MGM lion. Mm-hmm. Peter says he read that if you roll someone over, they'll stop snoring. <laughs> they decide to try it. They're trying to roll Oliver over by standing on the edge of the bottom bunk. Somehow they both fall off onto the floor. And Oliver wakes up and tells them to be quiet and they look annoyed. And you know what that reminds me of? What? When we were kids, the stuff we used to do with Nikki for <laughs> listeners who don't know, our youngest sister, she's seven years younger than me and, what, three years younger than yes. you? And yes. she was a very, very heavy sleeper. She was very heavy sleeper. Unlike the rest. And I can remember, like, one time us putting her in the bathtub. Yes. And remember, that's when she used to wear that, like, ponytail on top of her head mm. when she slept. Yes, like, she We put her in the bathtub. We did other stuff, too. I can't even remember. Dressed her in Poor things Nikki. when she was asleep. And, that's part of being the youngest. Next morning in the family room, Greg is reading a magazine. Bobby and Peter are complaining about Oliver. They say he's a jinx and start listing all the stuff he's supposedly responsible for. And Greg's like, it's just accidents. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not doing it on purpose. Yeah, Jan that. and Cindy and Marsha come in. Jan complains about her painting and that Oliver made Marsha drop dishes. Marsha says those were accidents. So the two older kids are more... Peter said, all this shit has happened since he moved in. And Bobby says, I like Oliver, but he's a jinx. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, poor Oliver is sitting under the glassless window on the fake grass. And he overhears them. He's outside. This is our second overhearing incident in this yes. episode, which tells me that nobody was trying too hard on this script. It's just really Like, lazy. again, it took two writers to come up with this shit. Jesus, we could have been great writers in the 70s. Jan says she wishes he could stay with some other relative. And Peter says, yeah, we're stuck with them. Aww. And I feel so bad. He's just a little boy. I know. A bunch of assholes. And now there's an outside view of the house and Carol is coming out the sliding door. They do the outside view and then they're in the backyard holding a basket wearing gloves. 
and she tells us she's got gardening gloves. She tells Alice she'll be out in the backyard gardening. <laughs> the fake. It's like, what is she going to be gardening? She notices legs coming out of a tiger's doghouse. Boy, it's lucky they saw that doghouse. Oh, People are always hiding in it. It's Oliver, of course. She asks Oliver why he's in there. And he says if he comes out, something bad will happen because he's a chinx. Carol asks him what's going on. And he says he's bad luck. She says, who gave you that idea? And he says he overheard the other kids say it. And they're right. Wherever he goes, bad things happen. Carol grabs his hand and says they're going to solve his problem right now. Come on. What she should do is go punch all her kids in the face. Right. Tell them they're assholes for ganging up on a little kid. Now they're in Mike's study den, whatever it is. Mike tells Oliver that there's no such thing as a jinx. Mm. And Carol says she thinks it's good luck he's here. They tell him to forget about the jinxing. They all like him. He says he'll forget if the other kids will. Yeah. First of all, this seems like Mike had more of an opportunity to give a classic Mike lecture. And he really, I don't, I feel like he really didn't pull out all his guns like he normally would have. And also, anybody who, if Oliver has watched the Brady Bunch, he knows that since (laughs) major crises and issues and personality traits only last for one episode, all he has to do is wait it out. And next episode, (laughs) he will no longer be a jinx. That's true. We're in the family room. And Mike is with the four youngest. And he's very disappointed. Mm. Jan says, we didn't know he was listening. And Mike says, the accidents happened because he was trying to help Or they were just accidents. He's not a jinx. My feeling, too, is, which I would have said, none of the accidents were that catastrophic. Right. He didn't cause injuries to anyone. He didn't uh, really cause any damage to anything. Right. Except for Jan's painting. Mike says Oliver is part of the family. Whatever we do and wherever we go, so does he. And then he leaves. And Cindy says she guesses that means Oliver will have to go down their studio tour with him Saturday. And I'm like, he wasn't going to go? Yes, he was going. I mean... There was and never they mentioned it to of- him. And Peter says he hopes another so-called catastrophe doesn't happen. Mm. And I'm like, fuck you. Now we're in the backyard and the boys are... Now this is a very annoying scene. The boys are playing basketball in the driveway. Nearby... Marsha is painting a pottery bowl on mm-hmm. a table right near the boys playing basketball. Yep. Okay. And that's really bad judgment on her part, even if they didn't have the Oliver Jinx issue. No just, shit. Anything could have happened. Oliver comes out and Marsha asks him if he wants to learn about ceramics, but he says, no, something bad will happen. Mm-hmm. And Cindy says, dad says you're not a jinx. It's like, grow up, Cindy. So Oliver goes to watch the boys. Greg says, come on, Oliver. You can team up against these two clowns with Mm -hmm. him. Oliver says he'll just watch. And he's resistant. He's afraid he's going to bust the ball. (laughs) But they talk him into playing with them and he starts playing. Now we're in the family room. Carol is doing a a embroidery work. Mike comes in with an ugly building model. (laughs) I know, it's awful. Carol oozes and ahs over it and Mike is showing her the details. Outside, the ball game is heating up. Oliver is too small to play with them, really, I think. I don't think they should be playing. He's going to get hurt. They shouldn't be playing that active a game with a little boy like that. No. Oliver throws the ball to Greg, and it hits Marsha's bowl and smashes it, which I could have predicted as soon as I saw everything going on. Mm Mm-hmm. 
It goes through Alice's legs on the patio. She's coming out with something and rolls into the kitchen. (laughs) 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 This scene made me laugh. I don't know why. Mike is carrying his model through the kitchen and he trips on the ball and smashes the model like he smashes it against the kitchen island. And if the sliding door had glass, maybe that wouldn't have happened. Well, no, because Alice left the door open. So it would have happened even if she had closed the door. But I want to say, why did Greg set up for that pass way in the back court? It didn't make sense. And I don't even know that much about basketball. (laughs) And so Oliver just wildly threw it. Of course, why, we already asked, is Marsha doing her precious pottery, which she said was like all of her grade for her class or some stupid bullshit. Why is she doing that out on the patio right next to the boys playing basketball? Why does Alice leave the door open? Not that it matters because there's no glass. I mean, (laughs) this isn't all Oliver's fault. I know. You know. And poor Oliver is devastated. But then nothing seems to really happen. They don't ever address any aftermath of that whole thing just that oliver except for his devastation plays a part and yes so the next day everyone is wearing jackets etc and getting into the station wagon it looks like a cold day cold day in los angeles yeah so it's what 70 yeah probably yeah i've never been to los angeles i have bobby and peter get in the way back of the uh, station wagon oliver is not there they call for him, and it looks like Mike isn't going either, but no. They, no one says why. I don't think they ever address it. It would have been easy for them to say, oh, Dad's not coming because he is right. Oliver's and here. Barry, Barry Williams' book, he says that they say Mike is at work, and Barry implies, but doesn't go into detail, that Bob Reed had a big issue with the upcoming scene, Mm, which I don't don't blame blame him, (laughs) and didn't want to be part of it. And as we know, this is getting toward the end of the series, and Bob Reed's issues were becoming much more pronounced. Alice has a green dress on. She looks very nice. Yes, she does. Uh, Oliver comes out and says he's not going because he's a jinx. Carol says nonsense and they tell him if he doesn't go none of them will go and so he says okay but it's at their own risk if he goes and I noticed Greg is driving because a woman can't now that oh. there's a, a man-ish right. type person with a license right you can't have a woman drive if there's the woman a man is not allowed to drive even if he's only 18 yeah. he's the man he's the ranking person in yes, the group because exactly. he's a man so they're at the Hollywood studio and everyone is in line except Mike. The ticket taker guy asks them all to step aside. He says, how many are there? And they say nine. And he says, can you please step aside? Greg asks if something's wrong. And the guy says, hardly. As they wait excitedly, people in costume go by. Mm. The ticket guy comes over and tells them since there were nine in their group, the ninth person was their millionth visitor. Hmm. So they won the grand prize. They'll all be extras in a movie. My thought, and maybe this is just because I was a member of a labor union for 25 years, is that sounds like wage theft to me. Their prizes, they get to work without being paid. And meanwhile, nine people who would normally have the paying job are not getting the work. That's just my take on that. Carol says, thanks to Oliver, they get to be in a movie. If he hadn't been with them, the people behind them would be in the movie. Ooh. Mm. Now we're on a movie set. The set looks like it's set in the early 20th century, based on the clothes they're wearing. Right. 
Because they go, the guys like, here, go, you're going to go do your your makeup or whatever. So they don't they, never get their tour of the studio. I guess not. The director tells them to have fun and not look at the camera. They react to a car accident and it's two baking trucks mm-hmm. hit each other. The two bakers get out and start sticking pies in each other's faces. Mm. And I never understood pie in the face things. No, I don't either. And, and I'm like, who that... is going to go to this movie? I know, it's a really stupid movie. I, I think it's like supposed to be like a stick. silent movie right. too. It's... A cop comes and he gets a pie in the face and pretty <laughs> soon they are all covered in pie. And two notes on the scene. One is that One of the truck drivers is played by Don Winslow, who also played the reporter in the teeter-totter episode. And apparently he's a character actor who has like more than 150 credits. His name. The other thing is Lloyd Schwartz did a little cameo. He did the clapper. I didn't even notice him. The clapper guy thing. I didn't either. I might go back and look just so I can hate watch it. Andrew Edelstein and Frank Lavici of the Brady Bunch book. And I bought that book used, and I just realized, looking at it, it was written in 1990. But anyway, Mm. they interviewed Lloyd and Sherwood and everything for the book. And Lloyd told them, you know, Lloyd cannot tell a story (laughs) without making himself some kind of hero. He said the extra they hired to do the clapper thing couldn't do it right. And I'm like, really? (laughs) And so Lloyd said... Let's pay him anyway, and I'll do the clapper. What a great And, and I think that's bullshit. I think Lloyd just wanted himself in the scene, and who can't do a clapper? I don't know. And I just found that scene way, 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 way too long and tedious. And my thought was, this episode where they're unveiling this new character who's going to freshen up the show and get people to still watch it, even though the kids are all getting older. They have a cute little boy now. But yet, I feel like they just phoned in this script. They had two episodes of overhearing stuff. They had the whole miscommunication thing. It just, it was a very tedious, unimaginative script. And then they have like five minutes of this stupid... Yes high fight that was just brutal to watch and once we're done doing the synopsis of the episode some of the stuff sherwood and lloyd say though they didn't say much it gives me some insight into maybe why okay they didn't put much into that so oliver gets totally covered in pie because they all like attack him but he doesn't seem to mind and the director gets a pie in the face too ha 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 <laughs> and i agree with you that scene was way too long and annoying and yes. I didn't think it was funny. Now the tag is the family room. Oliver is writing. Alice comes in and he t- says he's writing a letter to his parents saying he likes it there. Oliver says Bobby made him take out the trash and sweep the garbage. But he doesn't mind because he's going to put a lizard in Bobby's bed. Mm. And Alice says, just make sure it's not there when I'm going to make the bed. Ha ha ha. Uh-huh. He's an adorable little boy. I think he's a cute little boy. I thought he was annoying when I was a kid. I did too. But he is a good actor. Yeah. But you know, it's that trope. It might have even started with the Brady Bunch. Have this precocious kid. Because right. he's kind of precocious, precocious. and smart. And I can't think of any shows that they had that type of kid. A lot of the kids in the older were, shows were, were just more regular. Cindy Brady type, where they were almost like, too uh, like style for their. Yeah. Lloyd, of course, gives himself credit because Robbie, that was kind of the beginning of Robbie Riss' lengthy career where he was ubiquitous on TV, and Lloyd 
pretty much for casting Robbie, gives himself credit for do you did, did Lloyd say or did anyone say why they decided to add a kid? Yes, and it may be an obvious thing, and I'll get into that right now. Okay. In the Brady Bunch book by Andrew Edelstein and Frank Lavici, first of all, the, the show had always struggled in the ratings. People forget that now because it became so popular with syndication, but it was always on the edge, and as we talked about a couple episodes ago, TV was changing, and so Lloyd Schwartz told the guys who wrote this book, when the show began, we had kids of very different ages, but as they started getting older... All the character types of problems got pretty much the same. You get to be a teenager, you start worrying about high school, college, and like that. And when everybody's that age, it limits your stories. So it was felt that bringing in a younger character would add something new to the show, and it was fun for a few episodes. <laughs> and Sherwood Schwartz says, I'll tell you, bringing in Oliver was not my decision. That was mm. a paramount decision, that since the kids were growing up, we needed a smaller child around. I didn't think we needed one, but I will never fight something which doesn't seem to hurt. But on the other hand, I'll argue to the death if it's something vital to the show that they want to change. CBS originally wanted a kid on Gilligan's Island, they huh. want, which, as listeners know, Sherwood Schwartz also created. They wanted the professor to have a 12-year-old nephew. I couldn't make them understand that to put a 12-year-old kid on the show would eliminate Gilligan, because Gilligan is a 12-year-old child. They didn't understand that. Their thinking was, we're trying to attract children, therefore we need a child. Now that was a vital battle. But whether they want to add another kid or as a cousin who comes to stay with them on the Brady Bunch, that's not a vital battle. And I have a couple more things on that, but I will say it's often thought of as the Brady Bunch jumping the shark moment yeah. because that seemed to be this desperate thing that just kind of threw off the whole balance of the show and like in the next episode our next episode we're gonna do two peters in a pod he's just there because he has to be kind of and he's not even part of the plot or anything and it's like why is this kid even here on the real brady bros chris knight said that two peets in a pod aired before it, it didn't air before it was filmed before and then lloyd in his book brady 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 does not talk much about it but he said the series was beginning to show its age it was the middle of season five and the network wanted to freshen up the show by adding a character the expression jump the shark was originated when the popular tv series happy days dried up creatively it specifically refers to an episode in which Fonzie had to jump over a shark <laughs> tank on a motorcycle as we all know that's maureen that adding that by all accounts, the scene was completely unbelievable and it compromised the Fonzie character and the show's integrity so badly that it became obvious the end was near. Therefore, Jump the Shark is now a euphemism for the last gasp of a dying series. For the Brady Bunch, many people think it was the arrival of Cousin Oliver that caused our show to jump the shark. Though Robbie Rist was and is a good actor and played the character Oliver just the way we wanted him to, he threw off the balance of the show and was perceived by the audience as an interloper in the family they knew so well. The last six episodes of the series were spent integrating him into the family and setting up the changes that would have to be made in the next year with Greg going to college and Cousin Oliver supposedly giving us younger stories once again. It didn't really work all that well. And that's all that Lloyd says about it. 
And Barry Williams doesn't really, in his book, have much on it at all, except for to note on Two Pete's in a Pod, which we're doing next episode, say, this episode marks Robbie Riss's real first appearance as the Brady's oh, okay. Oliver. Episode 112 is all about Oliver's moving in with the Brady's, but we shot this episode first and aired the two in reverse order. The role of Cousin Oliver was a brainchild of Paramount President Doug Kramer. He felt mm -hmm. that the Brady children had become somewhat ancient by TV kid standards and that someone younger should be introduced into the cast to appeal to the five and under crowd. Sherwood resisted, but finally mm -hmm. gave in. Robbie Riss first came to Sherwood's attention when he was asked to interview for the attempted Brady spinoff, Kelly's Kids, which ah. we did an episode a couple episodes yeah. ago. Although the role he auditioned for ultimately went to Todd Lookinland, Robbie had made a good impression on the casting types at Paramount. Most everyone agreed that the addition of Cousin Oliver was unnecessary and he had a tough time trying to fit in with, quote, the family. I just want to say this all brings to mind Barry's take on it and Lloyd's take. And we've noted in different episodes they've had different takes on things. And lots of times Barry's seems more genuine. Barry interviewed people for his yeah. book. But Lloyd says... Other books have been written about the Brady Bunch. Yeah. Ironically, some by experts who weren't there and had no real inside knowledge, though they claimed to know the truth. Even Barry Williams, in his successful book, Growing Up Brady, purports to explain exactly what was going on from the beginning. In deference to Barry, who is a friend of mine, he wasn't there either. He was a kid and an actor in the show, but he wasn't involved in why we were doing what we were doing, Barry only learned later through interviews for his book about the decisions that were made, the things that happened, and how they happened. When I see Barry and we talk about the Brady Bunch, he'll relate something that he was told happened, but not by me. I tell him that's not what happened. He yeah. says, yes, it is. It's in my book. I tell him, just because you wrote it down and it's on paper doesn't mean it's the truth. And then <laughs> Lloyd says of his own book, this book has my best recollections, colored by the intervening years and the fact that I am the hero of my own life. Yeah, and, that's and for sure. he certainly is. But I do believe, like when we did the Cincinnati Kids, that Barry's relating what happened with the roller coaster and Rob Reed seemed much more incredible than Lloyd's. I think a lot of Lloyd's recollections, and he gets facts wrong that yeah. we know by watching the show, I think a lot of his recollections are colored by his prejudices yeah. like against Rob Reed and Eve Plum. I was going to say that if they wanted to freshen it up and add, you know, younger kids, they should have had at least two siblings move in with them. Maybe a little boy and a little girl or something so they could have the inter... What was good about when they were little was their interaction with each other as siblings. He's too young to really right. interact with the other kids he's not their peer right he's the satellite watching yeah. them play checkers kind of thing so you know, you know and if they were going to keep going and greg was going to go off to college and then marcia would go off to college it would have made more sense for them to have these kids move like in, even have carol which would have really freshened up have twins a boy and a oh, girl yeah, that would have been good you but know? they would have been babies so they would have been boring or have them inexplicably decide to adopt yeah. twins for some reason. Have her brother and his wife die, and they have these twins who are eight years old that they have to take in or something. Yeah, I just no, there's all sorts of things. I feel like it was half-hearted. Like, Sherwood didn't want it. I think they saw the show was on its way out. 
and there was all that conflict with the kids um, yeah. that Lloyd described with their agents. And then Rob Reed was getting more and more fed up. And I think they decided to just let it do a... So that's that episode that everybody was waiting for. Oh, and one thing I noticed, and I was going to re-listen and I forgot to the ending of The Real Brady Bros, mm-hmm. is Greg said my tagline. I mean, not Greg, Barry. He stay said, groovy. stay groovy. Yeah. He said, stay um, groovy. Barry, I, if they listen to I see you, Barry. Listen, Barry, I've been saying that since... When did we start doing this? 2017. Yeah, 2017. So I'm and just saying. I'm not saying we're the first people in the world who have ever said it, but to say it in relation to the Brady Bunch on this. I don't know. They must be listening to us, man. Drop us a line, guys. Of course they listen to us. We'll have you on. Why wouldn't they? We're the best Brady recap show. I think is. we are. And so as we mentioned, Next episode, we'll have two peats in a pod. Yes, I love that. This is what I remember fondly. I know. And it is a little different from the other ones. It's not a recycled plot. And so until next time, thanks for listening. And stay groovy.